0: ride a bike, and you're giving it all that you've got, and then what I learned this week is that there's a way to ride a bike, and there's a way to ride a bike, and the guys at 360 have shown me that when you ride a bike, you actually ride your bikes together, and you're going, you know, in my case, like eight, you know, miles per hour, like you're going like 16, 17, 20, 22 miles per hour, and you're right next to each other, and you know why that works? Because there's somebody ahead of you that's drafting you. They're taking all of the wind in their face so that the riders behind you actually have it easier. And what happens is that all the bike riders are able to go further and longer with more efficiently together. The same vision, the same cadence, the same speed, the same purpose, together. And the book of Acts, friends, shows us that there's a way to ride a bike, and there's a way to ride a bike. And many of you have a bike, but you're doing it on your own, and you're pedaling your guts out, and you're taking all the wind in your face, and you wonder why you're so tired. Listen, the Lord gave us His church to teach us how to ride together how to draft behind each other. And when that happens, joy doesn't become some theoretical idea that you find in the book of Acts when you read it, but it actually becomes deeply personal because you become on fire. You're lit up with something that you do not deserve, but that is yours as much as anything else you might possibly own. So let's look at God's word today in Acts chapter 11. We're going to read from verse 19 down to verse 30. And I want you to understand that there's a way to ride a bike and there's a way to ride a bike. And you see it in Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, And a great many people were added to the Lord. And so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and of Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, would you now take your word, and would you massage it into our hearts, and would you change us by it, Lord, would you show us through Barnabas that there's a way that we can walk the Christian life and there's a way you intend for us to walk the Christian life. A little encouragement goes a long way and thank you that you give it to us in this precious saint of yours, Barnabas. So would you change us, we pray. Lord, would you take the anxieties of our hearts right now and would you help us to leave them at the foot of the cross to begin even now to journey there. To lay them down, Lord, we pray um, for those among us who don't feel well. Lord, we pray that you will um, continue to be with Kathy, and Lord, I pray you'll heal her knee. I pray, Lord, that the tendonitis she you feels you'll take away. Lord, I pray for those who are traveling. I pray that you'll protect them and keep them safe. May they find true rest while they're away from us. Would you help their vacation to really be restful? Lord, we pray for those of us who are here. Some of us are really overwhelmed and Lord, we, um, we don't really know if we want to be here. But I pray that you help us to want to because you so overwhelm us with your goodness and the promises that you've declared to us in scripture that you show yourself to be the source of our greatest delight. And so would you change us now, we pray, in these moments we have together through the preaching of your word in Jesus name. And all of God's people said, amen. A little encouragement goes a long way, doesn't it? In this passage you see that you got greater joy, you got greater encouragement, you got greater endurance, you got greater community. It's all right here. I'm going to break it out in three parts. Greater joy, greater endurance, greater community. Are you ready? Greater joy. Listen. The gospel as we've been learning in Acts, goes out of Jerusalem, and it seeps into Samaria, and then it begins to seep in to the Gentile world, and finally it takes hold, not of individuals, but of an entire city of Antioch. Antioch was the third most well-known city in the ancient Near East, next to Rome and Alexandria. There were probably half a million people that lived in uh, Antioch at the time, It was a very, very cosmopolitan place. It was the center of commerce. It was a regional center of religious worship and adoration. It was a place where people came to get educated. And it's here in Antioch, the capital of Syria, that the gospel first busts out and breaks forth. And you know how it breaks out and busts forth? It breaks out through some unauthorized preachers who break from the common practice of preaching only to Jews. And they start preaching to Greek speakers, to Gentiles in Antioch. Now, that probably won't float your boat, not that big of a deal, but notice that for the first time in the history of the church, lay people, not the apostles, are bringing the gospel to non-Jews. It wasn't the apostles who did that. It it was the laymen. Because when Stephen died, all of the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but everybody else took off. And they ran out of the city with the message of the good news. And so here, you come to Antioch, this great city. And some Johnny-come-latelys are preaching the gospel to Hellenists. What in the world is going on? And so whenever the Jerusalem church catches wind of this, they send somebody to confirm, is this really a true movement of the Spirit, or is it just their bean burritos they had the night before? Like, what's going, what's going on? How do you know this is really a true movement of God? Like, how do you know? And so you see the early church government at work. Notice, they, the presbyters, the Presbyterians, dare I say it, in Jerusalem, send an emissary to Antioch. They go check these guys out. And so they send Barnabas over to check out Antioch, which made total sense because Barnabas was a he was from Cyprus. He was from the area. He knew the language. He knew the custom. And so it only made sense that they send Barnabas. And notice that when Barnabas sees it, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say what you or, or I might might say whenever you see some church exploding because of the movement of the Holy Spirit. You might say, you know, they're just not PCA. You know, they, I'm sorry, they just don't, you know, they just, they just don't read the Bible like I do. Like, they're not authorized to preach. But what does Barnabas say? Look at the text. It says, when he came in verse 23, he saw the grace of God. How do you see the grace of God? You see it in the way people love each other. Oh, no man anything but a debt of love. He saw the way they loved each other, and what was his response? Sorry, I'm the official emissary of the Jerusalem church, and you guys haven't been sanctioned. You haven't gone to seminary. You haven't gone through the right educational channels. Who ordained you? It says he was glad. He was overcome with joy. Now, now this would make sense for Barnabas me because Barnabas understood the gospel, like when Barnabas became a Christian, soon after he became a Christian, you know this from Acts chapter four. Who was it that gave that sold a field and gave his money to the church? It was Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Who was it later that when when Paul was in town and everybody Saul was and everybody was freaking out that Saul had come to town talking about how he had met with the risen Lord. Who was the guy, amidst all the cowardly apostles who didn't want to talk to Saul, who went and he got Saul and he took him and he connected him to the disciples? Who was that? It was Barnabas. Or who is it that in Acts 13 and 14 has the audacity to go with Paul from Antioch on the first missionary journey? It was Barnabas who went with Paul to encourage Paul along the way in his first missionary journey. Why did he do this? Because Barnabas was filled with joy. That's why he could be such an amazing encouragement to so many. Or who is it in Acts chapter 15, at the very end of the Jerusalem council in verse 36 of Acts chapter 15, whenever Paul and uh, Barnabas are going to go on their second missionary journey and they're going to take John Mark with them, and Paul goes, we're not taking that guy. Listen, on the first missionary journey, things got tough. Like, they had to do setup every week. And they had to, like, it was hard to plant the church. And John Mark just got worn out. And he was just a wussy. We're not taking him. And who was it that went and stood up for John Mark in the face of Paul and said, Paul, you are missing the point. We are doing this thing together. Come on, John Mark. Come with me. And he encouraged John Mark while Paul took Silas on a second missionary journey. It was Barnabas. Listen, when you see a fresh movement of God at work in this city, are you excited for it or are you jealous? When you see the Lord working in your wife's life, are you pumped? Like, are you overcome with joy? Or is part of you like, yeah, I don't know. Do you wear the excitement of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Like, do you take it on your, do you enjoy being with them? Or are you always so self-critical, so self-unaware that you actually really don't know how to be an encouragement to them because you think that Jesus, if you're honest, still weighs you by your merits? Listen, friends, there is a way to encourage people and there is a way that looks like encouragement, but it's really just false sentimentality. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. How do you know when you're really encouraging somebody? There is a, there's a, a couple friend of ours in New Jersey um, who were telling us a story where the husband had asked the wife to go down and fix something in the basement. You know, turn the sump pump off. In, in New Jersey, there's the basement's flood and the sump pump pumps all the water out something silly but turn, turn it off so that it doesn't burn out our, our breaker and run our electricity bill off and so the wife said okay I'll do it so he goes to work he works on campus and she she, she you know goes to the house she's taking care of the kids and he comes home that night and he says babe thanks for doing that you know, thanks for turning it off oh yeah you bet you're welcome and um, you know the next day he goes to work just like a normal day and all of a sudden he gets a knock on his door and it's his wife and he goes, um, hey honey, <laughs> what are you doing here? And she goes, we need to talk. Gulp. And he says, well come in. And he looked, she looked at him as honest as, um, you know your spouse can look at you and it frightens you. And she goes, I need you to know I lied to you. And he goes, you lied to me, about what? She goes, I know this is silly but you told me to fix that thing in the basement, and I told you I did it, and I'm scared to death that I just looked you in the face and said I did when I it was a bold-faced lie. I didn't. (laughs) She was so convicted by it. And so the husband did what you and I would do and say, babe, it's okay. Like, you're forgiven. But there was something about even her husband's forgiveness that really didn't free her up. Until the next day, she was walking with a friend around town. And this girlfriend of hers, she's telling the story to her girlfriend, saying, yeah, I just feel like I'm a sinner. This is awful. And, you know, I just lied to my husband straight up. And she looked at her friend. And her friend looked back at her. And her friend said, that is not who you are. Quit talking about the fact that you're a sinner. Yes, you screwed up. But that's not who you are. Get over your self-pity and trust in the promise of God. He has forgiven you. Move on. And for some of us, we often encourage other people not by helping them understand the promises of God, but by giving them a kind of like false sentimentality, like, hey, you look great, right? You look cool, you know, this is great, and you're really trying to encourage them. But, But we sometimes receive those compliments as a way to kind of like, you know, fuel our own idolatries. Thank you. Or, no, no, I don't really don't look right. You know, I didn't do my makeup right this morning. Or my hair's all screwed up. Or I didn't have the right shoes on. And we have a hard time sometimes, like, taking compliments because they somehow are too close to the idols of our heart. Do You know what I mean when I say this? Are you with me? So when somebody will say to you, hey, Blake, you're a great preacher, and I get real self-defensive about it. It's because preaching is very close to my heart. I want to be a good preacher. Instead, I should just shut up and say, thank you. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit used it. The problem with a lot of the way that we give encouragement is that we, we actually don't point people toward what is really encouraging. That is, we don't root them in the very promises of God, which are true and amen for all time and eternity. And so whenever you, whenever you give somebody a compliment... It's okay to say, hey, you look great, you look nice today. Because you're telling them that yes, you look great. And one day in our glorified bodies, we're gonna look beautiful forever. Or whenever you say something to somebody to encourage them, the best way you can encourage them is by rooting them in the promises of God for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me give you an example. Because not only do you have greater joy, but you also have greater endurance. And this is what Barnabas shows the church. The church became Christian in Antioch. And Barnabas said to them, okay, now that you're believers, this is great. I want you to have greater endurance. And I want to root you in the promises of God. I want to be the true encourager to you. And so what does he say? He says in verse uh, uh, 24, or 23, he says he was glad and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. When he says to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, he says literally in Greek that the purpose of their heart would cling to the Lord. In the King James Version, it says that they wouldn't just be faithful to God, but they would cling to Him. And the Greek word literally means to rest in the Lord. And so if I were translating this, right, I might say, instead of remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, I might say, resolve in your heart to rest in the Lord. Barnabas is telling them, now that you're a believer, you want to grow in joy, you want to grow in endurance, and you want to grow in a sense of community, resolve in your heart to rest in the Lord. Because the greatest sources of encouragement for us are the ones that are rooted in the promises of God. And when you receive encouragement, and when you give encouragement, are you just trying to give false sentimentality to people? Or are you trying to help connect them to the promises of the Lord? Listen to how the Lord encourages His people. Because we're Barnabas gets this, of course, this is the modus operandi of God. This is the way he does things. Do you remember Israel in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 14? They were bickering and they were complaining because they were in the middle of the wilderness without anything to eat. They said, take us back to Egypt, Moses. It would be far better for us to go back there than to stay here and die. And what does the Lord say? The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on his children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses says, Lord, please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven them now and until Egypt. But they refuse to believe God's promises, God says, and they will never enter the land except for Joshua and Caleb. Listen, the Lord is trying to encourage them with the promises He's given His people. But they refuse to listen to the promises. Or Rachel in Genesis. Remember, Rachel is married to Jacob. And remember, she she and her sister are married to Jacob. And Rachel can't have children. It's killing her. And it's made worse because Leah is like a baby factory. She's got six sons and a daughter by this time. And how does the Lord encourage Rachel? He doesn't say, hey, buck up. It's okay. Rachel says, I am, the Lord says to Rachel, I am faithful to my covenant promise. I promised that through Abraham that there will be more stars in the sky than he'll have descendants. Listen, you'll have your star. Be patient. He comforts her with the promise of God. Or David's worst day, perhaps, is in second, uh, 1 Samuel 30, when David's, um, Uh, the Amalekites come and they take all of Israel captive they take the wives captive and David lost his wife she's taken she's kidnapped they've plundered all of his property they've taken all of his friends children all of their wives and the men are ready to stone David for not leaving them well and what does the Lord tell David the Lord David goes to Abiathar the high priest and says what do I do and Abiathar says take on the ephod and call out to the Lord. And you know what the Lord says to David? David, I have called you. You are mine. I will protect you. Do you trust me? And he gives David a recounting of his promises over his people. Or Elijah, when Elijah wanted to die in the Old Testament, he was physically and emotionally exhausted, and he runs off into the wilderness He's just running from God and God catches him and he puts him in the cleft of the rock and a great wind comes by and God's not in the wind. And then the Lord sends an earthquake and the the Lord's not in an earthquake and then he sends a fire and the Lord's not in the fire. And then the still, small voice comes to Elijah and says, Elijah, do you trust me? I have promised that I will preserve a remnant of my people. I will leave 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal and Israel. You are not alone. I will not let my name be profaned among the nations. I will accomplish my purpose. I promise you. Or Nehemiah when he went to go rebuild the wall. Listen, you get the point. All throughout the Old Testament, how does God encourage his people? He points them to his covenant promises for his people. You know what his covenant promises are for his people? Fear not for I am with you. And be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Listen, friends. A little encouragement goes a long way. And you need to know that right now, the Lord wants to encourage you by reminding you of his covenant promises for you. That's exactly what Barnabas did for the people resolve in your hearts to rest in the Lord. There's a way to ride a bicycle and there's a way to ride a bicycle. There's a way to ride a bike where you're just pedaling into the wind and there's a way to ride a bike where you're letting the bike do the work with you and you're drafting behind your brothers and sisters and you go farther and you enjoy it so much better. You have a sense of endurance and a sense of joy. That's what part of us is trying to show for the people of Antioch. Trust in the promises of God. Trinity, resolve in your heart to rest in the Lord. It's hard to plan a church. And there are some days when you don't want to come to church. I don't want to come. And that is okay. But come. Because we need each other to draft we need each other to have endurance together. You need to be reminded of the promises of God. Do you know them? Most of us are encouraged because we change our circumstances or we change our emotions. You know how sometimes when you watch a really good movie, or kids, you know when you're little sometimes and you go watch a movie at the movie theater and you just get totally self absorbed into the movie? And then when the credits come at the very end, and you're walking out with your mom and dad or whoever took you, and it dawns on you, wait a minute, like that's not my life. Like I've got a life, and oh man, that life looks so much. B-. And it kind of, and for a moment you were encouraged because your circumstances changed, and then you realize you're back in reality. Listen, that's how a lot of adults um, encourage themselves too. It's called escape, and some adults eat too much food, and some adults look at things they shouldn't, and some adults. Watch a lot of sports to escape, and they use these good things to make them idols. Some adults invest so much time into their children because they're trying to relive their childhood through their kids. Some adults, um, we're just broken sinners. And we're going to constantly be caught between changing our emotions or trying to manipulate our circumstances. When the way you find true encouragement is by coming again, back again and again and again to the promises of God. Are you with me? Is this connecting at all? A lot of people who become Christians just try to catch the latest trend or latest fad. They just try to ride out whatever's gonna make them feel better. They're gonna gonna go to church and they just wanna be entertained. Listen, we're trying to root each other in the promises of God. Remain steadfast. Resolve in your heart to rest in the Lord inside uh, my wife's wedding ring is, is, is inscribed Psalm 33 in Psalm 33 when you get down to verse 19 through 22 it says we wait and hope for the Lord because he is our help and our shield in him our hearts rejoice because we trust in your holy name may your steadfast love may your faithfulness O Lord rest upon us even as we hope in you that's what I need to hear. Because after 10 years of marriage, I tell you, I still struggle with the exact same stinking things that I struggled with when I first got married. And I find that Lauren is like a mirror of sin for me. She just shows me so much of my blind spots. And I don't need to just change circumstances. I don't need to buy something new. What I need is to rest in the promise of God that Jesus loves me even when I'm not the best husband I can be. And that yes, there are many times when I let my wife down, but grace is enough. And I can rest in his finished work for me. Listen, some of you are trying to, you're in the midst of transitions in life. As you make these transitions, friends, rest in the promises of God. He didn't promise you you'd have the salary that you always dreamed of, but he did promise you his presence, which is far better than anything money can buy. He didn't promise you you'd have the best gig in the world, but he did promise you that he would give you forgiveness and righteousness, which is far more precious than anything money can buy. God didn't promise you he'd give you a picket fence and a three-car garage, whatever else, right? But he promised that he would give you the community of saints in the church. Listen, we have infinite wealth in Jesus. Spiritually, That should make us overcome with joy. And we should run to church on Sunday morning to sing of this masterful, incredibly beautiful story that we've been invited into. Barnabas was glad when he saw the Spirit of God at work, and he encouraged them to have greater endurance by rooting themselves in the promises of God. And you know what that produced? It produced greater community. Because notice what happens in Antioch. The, back in the, in the, when uh, the um, New Testament was being written, it, we didn't have the Bible like we do now. So God used prophets. The last Old Testament prophet was, of course, John the Baptist, who appears in the New Testament, but he's really the last Old Testament prophet. And there were people called by the Spirit who would prophesy about future events. And one of those was a man here named Agabus, who came down, really, Antioch is north came down the hill of Jerusalem and it says came down he actually went north it's a little confusing he came down the hill of Jerusalem to Antioch and he prophesied hey look look, listen there's a famine that's going to overtake all of Judea and it's coming and it's going to be horrible and I tell you Claudius's governmental food program is not going to cut it he doesn't have enough food and so they all resolved in their hearts in Antioch to send money the poor church in Antioch to send money to the mother church. And so the disciples said, everybody according to your own abilities give so that the Jerusalem church will have enough to make it through the famine. And they were incredibly generous. When you're overcome with joy, it changes the way you live your life. When you root yourself in the promises of God, you don't put their trust in riches. You say what, whatever it takes and you gladly give to the work of the Lord. The daughter church gives to the mother church. The poor church, wondering if they're going to make their budget, gladly gives to the mother church in Jerusalem here. And they sent it by the hand of the presbyters, by the elders, through Barnabas and through Saul. Friends, listen. What we need more in the middle of the summer is to root ourselves in the promises of God. And to remind us that the picture you see of Barnabas here, the encouragement that he gives to these people is given to us in our Barnabas, of course, Jesus himself. And our Barnabas didn't just come down from Jerusalem, but he came from his father's right hand. And he came for you. And do you know what he says to you? Resolve in your hearts to rest in the Lord. Fix in your minds that you will trust in his glorious promises for you. They are for you. They are more real than the vacation high you're gonna get this summer. They are legit. They are reality. You will all come home from vacation and be worn out, but the promises of God are the things that renew us. And when you learn to rest in those promises, to find your identity in those promises, to find that those promises are rooted not on anything you did, but upon what Jesus Christ himself has done for you, then you see the true Barnabas. Then you see the one who comes to give us true encouragement. Then you see the one who came to not just encourage us with the word, but to be the living word who laid down his life for us. Jesus himself who loves you. Friends, listen, do you want greater joy? Like, do you want greater joy? That's what we want. That's what we want. That's what we want for our kids. That's what we want for our spouse. That's what, we want. That's what we want. It's found in the gospel. It's found in the beautiful promises that God has given us. He will never leave us, never forsake us. He will give us greater joy. He will give us greater endure, endurance. He will give us greater community. But he does that together. Notice who it was that called them Christians. It were the unbelievers in Antioch who saw their profound humility, who saw their profound generosity, who saw their joy. And he said, they are Christians. They are little Christs because they are rooted in the anointed promises, the anointed one of God. His promises given to his people. They are the people of promise. That's what Christian means. They are rooted in the promises of God. They are little anointed ones. They are little Christs. Are you? Are you rooted in the promises of God? Or are you, like I often am, constantly trying to manipulate your emotions so that you make it through the week? Jesus loves you, and he wants to remind you how much he loves you by inviting you to his table. And in just a moment, when we come to the Lord's table, this is the Lord saying to you, this is my covenant promise to you. I love you. I am with you. I cherish you. I am not angry at you. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will show us that our identity is found in the promises of God, just like Barnabas gave Antioch the promise of God to encourage them in their walk with Christ. He didn't say, do this, do that. He said to resolve in your heart to never leave your first love, to remain abiding in the promises of your Savior. Lord, thank you that you've promised to take our sin and give us your righteousness. Thank you that you've promised to never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, Father, that you promise to take away our fears and to sing over us your great love for us. And thank you that you remind us of these things in your table. And we become as your people now as we give our gifts and as we prepare for the table in your name, amen.